Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. This is the word of God. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for all, all they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in time of prayer once more. God, when we look at what is happening in our own lives and in this broken world, and even in our our ministry, as we continue this difficult uh, transition period, God, our hearts are filled with anxiety and fear. And perhaps, Lord, we even look for reasons uh, to be more anxious and to be more afraid. And during that process, we lose sight of you. So, God, as we delve into this passage together, God, would you speak to us? Uh, would you comfort us, Lord? And we thank you that you are faithful and thank you that you are with us. We commit this time to you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, as we delve into this passage together, I would like for us to focus on the grace of God. But to be more specific, God's uncomfortable grace. You know, Maya's next appointment is coming up soon in May, and I'm not looking forward to it. I'm I'm already dreading it because Shine and I uh, will have to hold her down as she gets vaccinated. And I really hate that moment where we see her just cringing and and, and she's just terrified at that moment because she, she knows what's coming and she doesn't want it. But we still have to pin her down because it, it is necessary. It is necessary. I think God's uncomfortable grace is like that. And, and let's be honest, God's uncomfortable grace will indeed make us feel uncomfortable, but it is for our good. And we, we may not want God's uncomfortable grace, but it is precisely what we need as God's beloved children so that we can continue to grow up in the gospel, so that we can continue to grow up to be the men and women that God has called us to be. Now, with that in mind, I wanted to show just the three points that I would like for us to consider this morning. Uh, Point number one, getting comfortable with God's uncomfortable grace. Point number two, learning to embrace God's uncomfortable grace. Point number three, trusting the God of uncomfortable grace. Let's jump into the first point, getting comfortable with God's uncomfortable grace. Verses 47 and 48. And when evening came, the boat, was, uh, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And when he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Now what is happening in this passage As you can see, the disciples find themselves in a very difficult situation. 
They're trying to row across the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee was known for strong winds and violent waves. As verse 48 indicates that they were in deep trouble. The wind was against them and the boat was being tossed around violently by these waves. And at this point, they have been rowing strenuously for a really long time. Verse 48 indicates that Jesus came to them about the fourth watch of the night. And here the fourth watch of the night simply means between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. As you can imagine, they must be exhausted and completely frustrated. They're doing their best, but they're not making any progress. And they're not sure at this point if, if they can even get to the other side. They're frantically doing whatever it takes to save themselves, but it is not enough. It is not working. The odds are against them. They simply don't stand the chance against these forces of nature. And as a result, they're beginning to have doubts. And then they're beginning to realize that what they're up against is way beyond their strength and abilities. As you can see, there's imminent danger. Their life is in jeopardy. They're feeling defeated, hopeless, and terrified. Their hearts are filled with anxiety and fear. The question is this, how did they get here? How did they get here? Is it because they made a foolish decision? Is it because they, they, they disobeyed their Lord and Savior? Not quite. As you can see from today's passage, that they are in this difficult moment because they were obedient. Let me say that again. They are in this difficult moment because they were obedient. Verses 45 and 46. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken the leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. As you can see, they were simply uh, obeying Christ. And they got on this boat, and they find themselves in this difficult moment of uncomfortable grace. But this is the thing. This is precisely where Jesus wanted them to be. And you might be wondering, why would Jesus want his disciples, whom he loved so dearly, to be in this kind of difficult situation? The answer is because this is how God's uncomfortable grace operates. In a Paul trip writes, Jesus will take us where we haven't chosen to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. And this is what Paul Tripp calls the theology of uncomfortable grace. You know, whenever you find yourself in a difficult situation, how do you usually respond? Most likely with fear, anxiety, point fingers at God and, and ask him, God, why is this happening to me? Have you abandoned me? Have you forsaken me? Are you with me, God? Where are you? And let's be honest, in the midst of these difficult moments, God seems incredibly far and distant, does he not? And in the midst of these difficult moments, our hearts are most likely filled with anxiety and fear. But at times... This is precisely where God wants us to be. To expand more on the theology of God's uncomfortable grace, Paul Tripp writes this, 
God's grace often comes to us in uncomfortable forms. It may not be what it may it may not be what we want, but it is precisely what we need. It's not enough to say that God merely allows hardship to enter our life. In some instances, God personally delivers uncomfortable grace for His glory and our good. And this is why we must um, we must learn to embrace God's uncomfortable grace. Knowing that God has a special plan as he leads us through this difficulty and as he shows us more of himself and as he uses this uncomfortable grace to accomplish something in us that we can never otherwise do on our own. Which leads me to my next point, learning to embrace God's uncomfortable grace. Verse 48 again. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And let's think about that for, uh, for a little longer. You know, Jesus could have, instead of walking to them, walking on the sea, he could have just calmed the sea by the word of his power. How? Because he upholds the universe by the word of his power, right? It's mentioned in Hebrews 1.3. He is God the creator, after all, who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who has created all things, right? He could have simply calmed the raging sea so that the disciples can just row across to the other side and get to shore safely. But here, we don't see Jesus doing that, right? In fact, in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, here we see Jesus with the disciples in a boat, and when a great storm um, arises, what does Jesus do? He calms the storm, right? What does he say? Peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus could have done the same thing, but at this specific moment, he doesn't do that. He doesn't calm the raging sea. And he intentionally comes to them walking on the sea. But important thing is this, even as he is coming to them walking on the sea, their circumstances remain the same. The winds are still blowing. The waves are still crashing. The boat is still rocking. I mean, nothing has changed. Why doesn't Jesus calm the raging sea? Because it's part of the plan. This is part of God's uncomfortable grace. And as Paul Tripp reminds us, Grace won't always change our circumstances because the circumstances are part of the plan. There's a reason why Jesus came to them without calming the raging sea, walking on the sea, because he wanted to show them something. He wanted to teach them something. Now, I want to draw your attention to verse 48 again. He meant to pass by them. When he came to them walking on the sea, he intentionally wanted to pass by them so that they would see their Lord and Savior, Christ himself, walking to them on the sea. The question is why? A commentator named David Garland, he offers a helpful explanation here to quote, This is an epiphany. 
a surprise self-disclosure of Jesus' deity to bewildered disciples. This epiphany does not occur on a mountain, the traditional locale for encountering the divine presence where one's vision seems unlimited, but on the deep waters, traditionally viewed by Israel as a place of dangerous storms and sinister power, where one's vision is blinded by fear. The sea, however, was the scene of Israel's greatest deliverance when God parted the waters of the Red Sea and revealed his divine power over both the deadly forces of nature and humans. The Old Testament motifs in Mark's account of Jesus' walking on the water recall God's mastery over the waters of chaos as creator and savior. Jesus walks on the waves like God and speaks like the one true God. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus wants to show his disciples a glimpse of his divinity in order to help them unravel the clues to his identity. They do not follow a great prophet or a superhero, but the very son of God. Jesus wanted to reveal more of himself to the disciples in the midst of this storm. And this was God's uncomfortable grace to them. He wanted them to see his glory and power. He did this intentionally. But how did the disciples respond? They were terrified. Obviously, they didn't recognize Jesus. Their hearts were so filled with anxiety and fear They were blinded by what was happening before their very own eyes. When they saw Christ walking to them on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. They failed to recognize Jesus. But notice what Jesus does for them. He immediately speaks to them in order to comfort them. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus specifically wanted them to see that he was with them in this difficult moment. Even now, as he is walking to the sea, I mean to the disciples, and, and, and passing by the boat so that they can see him, their situation, their circumstances still remain the same. The winds are still blowing. The waves are still crashing. The boat is still rocking. But in the midst of all this, Jesus offers these comforting words to his loving disciples. I am here. I am with you. Do not be afraid. Fix your eyes on me. What was Jesus' top priority here? Obviously, it wasn't to, to calm the raging sea, right? What, was it to calm the raging sea or was it to change their circumstances for the better? That wasn't Jesus' top priority here. Here, Jesus' main concern and focus was the disciples especially their troubled hearts. He wanted to calm their troubled hearts first before calming the raging sea. Because Jesus knew that that even after this encounter with him, that they will continue to face and experience moments of difficulty just as these. But he wanted to teach them a lesson here. I am the Lord God Almighty, and I will be your deliverer, and I will always be with you. Do not lose sight of me. Fix your eyes on me. He did this so that they would not panic when the next difficult moment came, so that they would learn to embrace what is happening in front of them as they learn to trust the Lord and Savior even more. So he calms their hearts 
and then he calms the raging sea, not the other way around. Now, obviously, this was a moment of uncomfortable grace for the disciples. And Jesus wanted to teach them something while revealing more of himself to them. And this was grace. As you can see, Jesus intentionally put them in this difficult situation so that as he reveals more of himself, his power and glory as the very Son of God, so that as they encounter this, they will be transformed so that they will learn what it really means to live by faith, so that they will learn to trust him even more, no matter what is happening before their very own eyes. But did the disciples get it? Unfortunately not. They still didn't get it. You know, when I look back on my life, I can say that I have weathered many, many storms When I was single and after I got married to Shine, we have been weathering um, a lot of storms together and the storm still continues. But but this is what I've learned over the years and as I look back and in the heat of the moment, you know, I I look just like the disciples, freaking out, anxious, terrified, lose sight of the one who is leading me, lose sight of the one who is with me, complaining, grumbling, questioning doubting God's goodness and faithfulness. But looking back, I can confidently say that that God was always with us and that he used these storms for my good, for our good, and for his glory as he revealed more of himself to us and as he drew us closer and closer to him. And this is what we learned, that in the midst of a storm, that God stretches us and he expands our capacity to know him more intimately. And this is what Christ wanted to do for his disciples in the the midst of this difficult storm. And we have also learned that in the midst of a storm, God awakens us spiritually so that we may be able to experience his love and grace more deeply. This is precisely what Christ wanted to do for his disciples, but unfortunately, they failed to see this. Warren Rearsby, he offers a helpful insight when he writes this. Spiritual blessings must be balanced with burdens and battles. Otherwise, we may become pampered children instead of mature sons and daughters. Its new experience of testing demands us more faith and courage. In that first storm experience mentioned in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, the disciples had Jesus in the boat with them, but this time he was on the mountain praying for them. He was teaching them to live by faith. For that matter, even when he was in the ship with them, they were still afraid. The scene illustrates the situation of God's people today. We are in the midst of this stormy world, toiling and seemingly ready to sink, but he is in glory interceding for us. When the hour seems the darkest, he will come to us and we will reach shore. What about you? How do you usually respond to the storms of this life? Have you been struggling because of the storms in your own lives? Is your heart filled with anxiety and fear? because of what you are up against, because of the storms in your own life. Sometimes God personally delivers 
these storms, these uncomfortable moments of grace for our own good. And let's be honest, it's not comfortable. It's uncomfortable. But God seeks to use these moments of uncomfortable grace to do something in us that we would otherwise never be able to achieve on our own. What is that? So that we turn to him. We depend on him. Fix our eyes upon him. Cling to him all the more. And most importantly, so that we do not lose sight of him. No matter what is happening before our very own eyes. Will you still trust God when he leads you directly into a storm? Knowing that he's sovereign? That he's still in control? Here Jesus is telling us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. No matter what is happening in your life. For I am with you. I will continue to be with you. And I am for you. Be still. And be at peace. Knowing that. I'm with you. I think we tend to believe that peace is the absence of something. Absence of anxiety, fear, confusion, stress, chaos, difficulty, uncertainty, conflict, brokenness, pain, suffering. I mean, the list goes on, right? As long as we can remove that very thing that's causing me to feel this way, I can have peace. We tend to think of peace in that regard. But peace is not the absence of those things. Peace is the presence of God. Peace is the presence of God. And true, genuine, lasting peace is only found in his presence. And in his presence, there's peace that surpasses all understanding. So no matter what is happening in your life, I want to challenge you, instead of asking God to remove those very things, or perhaps I want to challenge you to pray, God, help me to see what you are doing, knowing that this is your uncomfortable grace, that you are sending me into this storm with a purpose in mind. Help me to see your purpose. Help me to see you clearly. May, we, may I not lose sight of you, but also help me to continue to have that peace in you, knowing that you are with me. You know, never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God in your life. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God in your life. You know, Jesus is not only worthy to be praised, but he's also worthy to be trusted. He is sovereign. He is in control no matter what is happening in our lives. Let's jump into our last point, trusting the God of uncomfortable grace. Verses 51 and 52. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When Jesus got in the boat with them, the wind ceased. And this is how the disciples responded. They were utterly astounded. But notice what Mark writes in the following verse, in verse 52, especially how he describes the disciples. Why does he explicitly mention that they did not understand about the loaves and that their hearts were hardened. What is he referring to here in this verse? Here, Mark is referring back to what the disciples had just witnessed, Jesus miraculously feeding the 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. It's mentioned in Mark chapter 6, 
verses 30 through 44, that they were utterly amazed, astounded after Jesus calming this raging sea. I mean, this is not a compliment. And Mark is trying to make a point here. And what is he trying to say really here? Warren Rears is helpful here, and so let me read you what he writes concerning this verse. The disciples had failed their test because they lacked spiritual insight and receptive hearts. The miracle of the loaves and the fishes were, uh, had made no lasting impression on them. After all, if Jesus could multiply food and feed thousands of people, then surely he could protect them in the storm. Even thousands of people that, uh, even a disciple of Jesus Christ, sorry, can develop a hard heart if he fails to respond to the spiritual lessons that must be learned in the course of life and ministry. In both occasions, the disciples failed to see the power and the glory of the Son of God. Sadly, they were blind to the presence of God, to the full glory of the revelation of God in the face of Christ. When Jesus was miraculously feeding the 5,000, they didn't see the glory of the Son of God. They only saw the multiplication of fruit. They missed the whole point, right? I do believe that here Mark is giving us a solemn warning. It is possible for a believer, uh, it is possible for you to be a believer and have a hardened heart. Now, this doesn't mean that, that you are losing your salvation, but it means that your heart can become hardened for a season, for an extended period of time because of the deceitfulness of sin or because of what you may be facing um, in your life. A hardened heart is resistant to change. And our sinful nature, coupled with that, you know, resists the gospel and the transforming work that God is seeking to, seeking to accomplish in our very own lives. To quote Warren Rearsby again, you know, he also offers this solemn warning in light of what's been said, he wanted to teach them a lesson on faith that would help prepare them for the work that lay ahead of them after he was gone. The disciples had just completed a very successful mission, healing the sick and preaching the gospel. They had shared in the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 people. They were on a spiritual high, and this in itself was dangerous. As you can see from this passage, I mean, the disciples... Yes, they had just witnessed Jesus feeding the 5,000 miraculously. And, and in this passage, they had just witnessed Jesus calming the raging sea, right? But as we can see from these both instances, miracles do not always evoke faith. How did they respond? These you know, events didn't necessarily deepen and strengthen their faith in their Lord and Savior, right? They were utterly astounded and amazed. But this doesn't necessarily mean that that their love for God, their their faith in Him, their trust in Him was deepened and strengthened because of their amazement. It doesn't necessarily mean that. I do believe that Paul Tripp makes a helpful distinction for us here when he he, um, separates amazement and faith. And he um, differentiates them in, in the following manner, that amazement is a function of the brain, but faith is an investment of the heart that changes the way I live. And he continues, amazement is when you have been taken beyond any categories that you have to understand or explain something. The disciples shouldn't have been amazed. 
They had watched this one operate. They should have been increasingly being transformed by the display of power and compassion that was demonstrated every day in their lives. But instead, they were amazed. It just ended with amazement. It didn't change them. It didn't transform them. Now, the question that I have for you is this. Is your Christian life based on amazement? Does your Christian life heavily depend upon a series of spiritual highs? That was an amazing worship service. That was an amazing Bible study. That was an amazing sermon. That was an amazing retreat. That was an amazing conference. That was an amazing missions trip. There was an amazing revival. There was an amazing prayer meeting. Should I continue? I mean, you can be amazed by these things, but still not live by faith. You can be amazed by these things and still fail to see the grace of God that is operating in your life. You can be amazed by these things and still fail to trust God wholeheartedly. You can be amazed by these things and still have a hardened heart that is resistant to change. And that is the solemn warning that Mark is giving us through this passage. And if your Christian life is based on amazement, a series of spiritual highs, then you'll most likely find yourself looking like the disciples when the next storm comes to your life. Do you remember what happened to the Israelites after they crossed the Red Sea? Try to put yourself in their situation as they're crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. I'm willing to bet that they were amazed. They were astounded. They were blown away. They were in awe and wonder of who God is, his power and glory. After crossing, they worshiped God with a song of deliverance, right? But what happened afterwards as they continued their journey through the wilderness towards the promised land? They quickly forgotten the whole thing. They lost sight of the one who was leading them, so they start complaining, grumbling, questioning, and doubting again. I mean, there was an epic, life-changing moment, right? Crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. God parting the rest. They had witnessed that. But that didn't transform their hearts. That didn't strengthen and deepen their faith in Him, their trust in Him. It simply ended there. And unless you and I, we are careful, we can always respond in a way that reflects that of the Israelites and the, and the disciples in this passage. You can be utterly astounded and amazed at what God is doing in your midst, but, but, but you still don't grow spiritually. You're the same. You're resistant to change. And this is an honest question that you and I need to to constantly ask ourselves, is, your, is our life grounded in the word of God? Is our life firmly rooted in the gospel? Or is it just based on a series of spiritual highs, these amazing moments that we depend on for our walk with him? In a nutshell, spiritual junkie, retreat junkie, conference junkie, revival junkie, turning to these things to keep going spiritually, right? There's a danger in that. I do believe that today our personal experience and personal interpretation of that experience is the unquestionable authority that all must 
submit to. And I do believe that this is because it is a byproduct of the, the society, the postmodern society that we are living in, where people say there's no such thing as absolute truth. And Vadi Bakum, I do believe that he, um, he is absolutely right when he writes, we have bought into the idea that experience trumps all and that the truth of scripture isn't as powerful as people's experiences. So in a nutshell, for many people and Christians, truth is no longer grounded in the word of God, but truth is whatever feels good to me, whatever works for me, even though they may directly contradict scripture, right? And this is the reason why people gravitate so quickly towards these spiritual experiences, spiritual highs. When I was in youth ministry, my students used to always ask me, like Pastor James, like I don't feel God. I don't feel God in my life. My follow-up question is, have you been reading the Bible? They're like, no, then read your Bible. Because they are looking for this generation, and I do believe that that also all of us, that we are looking for that thing that will make us feel this, right? The spiritual high. But this is exactly what Mark is warning us against. Unless your life is grounded in him, And unless you're delving into the word of God deeper and deeper, why? Because God has revealed himself to us in his word, right? And unless our life is firmly and deeply rooted in the gospel, in his word, the next storm that comes, that's going to quickly uproot your life. Especially if your life is heavily dependent upon these spiritual highs. What is amazing? What is, you know, all all the amazing things, right? That make you feel good. And unless you are careful, you may find yourself looking like a spectator, not a worshiper. You know, disciples here, even as they were witnessing these amazing miracles that God was performing at one after the other, that didn't lead them to respond in worship. They were just spectating. It's like, wow, that was a great miracle. They left unchanged. And this continued. And this is the solemn warning that Mark is giving us. Make sure your life is grounded in him. And don't lose sight of him, whatever is happening in your life, so that you don't end up looking like these disciples. David Garland, in his commentary to the Gospel of Mark, he offers these comforting words to all of us whose hearts may be filled with anxiety and fear because of what is happening in our own lives. And I quote him, we not only meet God in Jesus Christ, we also learn about ourselves through him. A disturbing element of this miracle is the response of the disciples to Jesus' sudden appearance. They do not recognize him and are more frightened by his presence than his absence. He comes with all the powers of God who controls the, the mighty forces of the wind and the sea. He tries to reassure them by making himself known in his glory and power. He fails to calm their hearts. Instead, they are stupefied, frightened, and confused. Often Christ may pass by our lives in ways that we fail to see, and that might frighten us. How do we see him while we struggle in the dim hours of the night in this present age, besieged by windy opposition? It may only become clear in retrospect as it did for those first disciples. We... We realized that in that horrible hour, we were in the very presence of God and that Christ revealed his glory to us. We were too blind, too petrified to see it. One should then be alert that in the times of discouragement, greatest fears, Christ is passing by, 
showing his love and power and leading us across troubled waters. We must admit that we do not live in an age where we witness the alphanies. God may not encounter us in this way anymore because the cross and resurrection are the clearest revelation of God. It may also be that our vision is weak and dim and we are not attuned to God's presence. Brothers and sisters, God is at work in your lives. God is at work in this ministry. God is at work in this broken world. We are the ones not seeing it clearly. Perhaps it's because our hearts are filled with anxiety and fear that we lose sight of him, especially when God personally delivers uncomfortable grace into our troubled hearts. But I want to encourage you by saying this, that God does this because he cares for us. Because God's, the one that God is most interested in is not our comfort. God wants us to see us become more and more like him. And, And he will often use uncomfortable grace to accomplish that in your life, in my life, and in our lives. With that in mind, take heart. And let's ask God to help us so that we become more comfortable with this uncomfortable grace when it happens next. That we will learn to embrace it in faith. And most importantly, that we will learn to trust God, the God of uncomfortable grace, knowing that he is with us, he is for us, never against us, that even today, that he is leading us. And that the work that he began in our lives, he will finish. Now, with that in mind, let's continue to trust him, continue to worship him. And let's continue to respond in a way so that our lives doesn't reflect that of the disciples and even the Israelites after they have crossed the Red Sea. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that the work that you began in our lives, you will finish at the day of Jesus Christ. God, grant us eyes to be able to see you more clearly, especially in those moments, those difficult moments where you send uncomfortable grace our way. Father, just as we have seen in this passage how you wanted to calm the troubled hearts of the, of the disciples before coming the raging sea, Lord, Father, when we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, may we now doubt and question you, but may we learn to embrace it in faith, trusting and knowing and believing that, that you are not only in our midst, but that you desire to use this storm, this uncomfortable grace for our own good and for your glory and for your kingdom. Father, thank you that you are a shepherd and that you will continue to lead us and guide us. And no matter what is happening in our own lives and in our ministry, Lord, May we not lose sight of you. And may we not let the presence of a storm cause us to doubt your presence in our midst, Lord. Father, we thank you that you are faithful. Thank you for loving us. We cannot thank you enough. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship God as we give our tithes and offerings. If you're visiting us for the first time, uh, please do not feel obligated to give.